All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Press record first and then do five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to episode 119 of the Kiss FAQ podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ message board, and I am joined by Lonnie, St. Louis Kiss, two weeks in a row. What's up? Awesome. What's up? Uh, Mark is almighty. Mark. Greetings. 69th Blizzard, Ken. So thank, thank you all for joining me, joining us. Let's see uh, what we can do with the show today. It should be fun. I've got a lot of news to kind of get through. Um, Peter Chris's final ever U.S. performance has officially been scheduled for June the 17th, the Cutting Club in New York City. So I guess the King's Lounge was booked. Bada bing. Um, I'm going. I got. I bought a ticket just to make sure I've got a spare ticket just in case. Um, I've got a room, two twins or two whatever they are in case anyone needs a place to crash. I'm gonna. I, Can we push them together? No, fuck off. <laughs> I'm. A, I'm actually. I'm gonna get out to uh, New York on the 15th um, through the 18th and uh, go see some of the sites I've never done. I haven't been to New York City in freaking years so I've, I've never done any of the tour shit i mean i used to fly in i can't remember if it was LaGuardia or jfk and basically go to the transit authority and take the fucking bus to scranton which yeah that says it all both yeah. ends yeah not much fun and the only other time i was ever i think in new york city i went to the rockefeller center i think it was something to do with becoming an american citizen but i don't remember it so long ago those brain cells are long gone so in relation to this Peter Chris thing, and he's obviously going to Australia first, I want to do a call out to the Kiss Army. You know, obviously I've published some books. I make books. That's kind of my thing. I want to put together a fan book for Peter. Everyone's got a sheet of paper. Uh, yeah, I know. In England, it's a different fucking size because they're difficult there. But basically, a sheet of paper. Handwrite a message of what Peter Chris means to you, a thank you to him. If this is his last ever live performance, if he's retiring, kind of pulling back from the spotlight at his age, and you want to give Peter Chris a message about what he means to you, or what he has meant to you, what he meant to you years ago, then let's put together a fan book. If I get a couple hundred of fans to write him a message, I can get them bound up in a book and present it to him. You know, as our thank you, the Chris Army, to Peter for everything that he's meant to us over the years. I think it'd be a really nice thing to do. And I'm pretty sure Peter's not going to be watching the Kiss FAQ podcast. So I feel confident in saying this. You know, if you do a podcast of your own and want to do a call out to your army, you know, you know where to find me. That's kissfaq at outlook.com. Send me a scanned 300 DPI copy of that full page. Or put it in the post to the P.O. box, and I'll scan it myself. You know, I'd prefer you don't put folds in it because I like to kind of keep it classy. Um, you know, let's see if we can do something like that. It's something that we haven't had to do as KISS fans. You know, no one has retired. No one got out, you know, without a uh, final service, shall we say. And if we can do a nice book for Peter to have that he can leaf through 
without having to go online and read nice messages because I will vet them. If you put anything assholish in a comment and that's anything denigrating the other members yeah. of the band, past or present, anyone that he's worked with, I will not put it in. So this is from you to Peter. It has nothing to do with any politics. It has nothing to do with any drama or any crap. So just you to Peter. I think it could be a very nice gesture on the Kiss Army side to show him the appreciation and respect that he deserves. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it down a, a level there because I got way too serious way too early in a show. Um, talking about books, I got my copy of Alan's Kiss Takes Tokyo 77, and I got to say, holy, I didn't cr- get mine yet. holy crap, it's not big, but what's in there? It's not big, but what you do with it, cool. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. So it's not the size that matters. Wow, wow, wow. Alan, you did a, you did a fantastic job. It looks very again, nice. Again, yeah. it's got That's a ton cool. of really cool pictures. It's got just enough text to cover the story of what they're trying to say. Thank you, Mark, for doing a leaf over while I'm reaching for my next item for this news bit. Um, nice. Basically. Check out Kiss in Japan, the book, on Facebook, or come over to the FAQ message board, and I'll put a link in this episode's uh, sticky post for you to find him, because it's really a book that I recommend strongly for your collection, and that's not humping his leg. It really is that good, and it already saved me money, let's put it that way. When I was leafing through it yesterday, I don't know if this was in the Kiss, uh, Kiss in Japan book he put out last year, but... I was about to list up a copy of my Japanese originals on the Kiss My Wax Facebook mm. page because I'm selling off all my shit. And in the back of his, he's like, Kiss 1977, all the premiums. And he's like, well, you know, do you have the sticker? I'm like, okay, I got the sticker in mine. Do you have the calendar? I'm like, holy fuck, do I have that in there? So I went to my copy, and yes, obviously I've just waved it up in front of the camera there. <laughs> I had the calendar. And mm. a copy of that with just the sticker, the Japanese version, went for 355 on eBay today. And I was like, okay, I was about to list mine for 200 including that shit. I'm like, okay. Alan, thank you so much. You saved me money. So that, that, that's really cool. So check out that book. It's well worth it. Let's get on to a couple of other book items. And... Uh, Volume 3. There's been a couple people who's asked me for hardcovers of this, so I'm doing a reprint. You're only going to be able to get one if you contact me directly, because I'm only going to have made up enough copies to fill those orders. The thing is, it's going to be 2006 to 2013. It's going to be both Volumes 3 and 4 in the same edition, and I had to go through and do some corrections. So look for me on the FAQ message board or on Facebook for that if, you, if you've got to have a copy. If you've already bought one, don't bother. You know, because there are only 32 of the fucking things in the first place. So it'll probably be worth 10 bucks by next year. Finally, before we get into the first part of today's topic, uh, the, ah, uh, shit. The Nashville Rock and Pod Expo News. So Scott Van Zen. KISS co-writer has been announced as a guest. Every week, stuff's being added to this thing. It's growing in scope, growing in scale. We do need your assistance with the GoFundMe. Now, we're not just asking for money. You're more than welcome to give it if you just want to be, uh, you know, really nice to make sure a cool music and KISS-related thing happens. But I'm going to offer up 
the prototype of the 15th anniversary edition. There's only one of these. Mm. I was going to use it to edit. I'm doing all my editing uh, right now digitally. So this is all the existing versions as they are in one bound copy. If you make a donation to the GoFundMe of $150, first person who does that and contacts me in the U.S. gets this. Simple as that. Aww. Internationally, it's just too damn expensive to post five pounds of book. It'll be. I know, I know. But if you want to pay the postage internationally, you're more than welcome to. But it'll be sixty, sixty-five, maybe even seventy dollars now to post that to you, and that sucks mm. ass. And I apologize. So that's the prototype. There's only one. I'm not making any others. Editing's in place right now. So that's the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Check out the links on the Kiss FAQ message board. I'm also going to offer up one other perk. And this has not been listed, so you can only get this. $75 donation. You get my personal Shutterfly picture book. All the photos I took at the November the 22nd, 2009 Kiss Show in Oakland. And there's only like three copies of this available. So $75. You get that. You gotta email me. You gotta donate seventy-five bucks to them and write a message on the GoFundMe, and I will send you that book. And I'll send that anywhere in the world for the seventy-five donation to GoFundMe. But there's only one, so first person gets it. Know that. All right. That's all the freaking news. <sighs> Should we do a show now? What do you think? Let's do it. Well, worn yeah, out. absolutely. Now, Lonnie, you went to a show recently. I, I did. I, I got to ask you, because we did an episode on the Gene shows after he'd done his second show, and mm-hmm. he made some changes to his set. But, you know, give us a quick rundown. Um, you know, what, what was going on in St. Louis, and how did you find out about it, and how was it? And then Mark's going well, to interrogate you. <laughs> well, um, he was in town for one of the uh, comic book conventions, Wizard Warrior. And the company that I work for, actually, we do security at the venue where it took place at. So Friday night, I'm sitting on my couch, and my phone rings, and my wife rolls her eyes because my phone never stops ringing. And I answer, and, they, and it's a security guard. And she goes, uh, Lonnie, um, it's come to my attention that you're a KISS fan. And I said, yes, have you... Have you set foot in my office before? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. She goes, um, I was just told that Gene Simmons is asking for additional security for Saturday. Then <laughs> we have scheduled. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, just do it. <laughs> I said, yep. Yeah. I said, I said, do you have people in mind? She goes, yeah, I have people in mind that can do it. I said, okay, just do it. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so I hang up the phone. My wife goes, are you sure you just don't want to go do that? <laughs> like, yeah. I go, well, I, I could. I said, but I don't know how close I'm going to get to him or how much I can keep my composure all day, too, without looking like fanboy midway through the day. Like, oh, what's that guy have for you to sign, Gene? <laughs> <laughs> so, probably better not. So, Saturday, um, my brother was supposed to go with me to the show, but he called me about a week beforehand and says, hey, I'm gonna go fishing instead what? so what yeah i know he's a real loser seriously yeah seriously it's like really dude like one's jeans never gonna come back on his own ever so really? so i told so i asked around most of my buddies already had tickets so i told my wife well guess what you get to go <laughs> <So>. <laughs> she must have been thrilled right yes. oh yeah she was a stack you know she said oh 
I thought I was going to get out of this one. <laughs> so we go down to um, there's a restaurant down the street from the venue called Blueberry Hill. It's a Chuck Berry-themed restaurant. Chuck used to play there all the time. And we had dinner there. And then you can say what you want, but my wife didn't feel good after that. So she goes, and I go, what's wrong? She goes, I just don't feel good. She's like, a headache. Jimmy, I so you don't want to go? I said, if you don't want to go, I can drive you home and just drop you off. Just, you know, I, I, I don't think you're going to enjoy it if I go with you. So I, all right. Took her home, dropped her off, came back. Whatever. I know enough people that are going anyway. So we just lost a second <laughs> at the last minute. Anyway. All right. It is what it is. And um, ended up, though, ended up with a good spot up against the barricade just to Gene's right for the show. Um, a local band opened. He had a contest in town where he had local bands submit auditions, and he picked one of the local bands to open for him. They played 35 minutes here. Actually, pretty good. Hmm. So... Gene came out and they did the intro to um, to Radioactive, but then they cut straight into Deuce from there, which was different but cool. Do I think Deuce works better as an opener than Radioactive? Anyway, and the intro was cool because everybody knows the intro, but then they just cut straight into Deuce. Um, so they went, so you so you play Deuce. And then he stops the show. He doesn't go in the radioactive right away. He goes, he goes in all serious, in all seriousness. He goes, thank you for coming tonight. He goes, but where we're standing is holy ground because tomorrow, the late great Chuck Berry's funeral will be held right here tomorrow. And and it was, and it was. Chuck Berry actually was the first person to play this venue that you can play that on Saturday night. And he said. Um, if it wasn't for Chuck Berry, I wouldn't be standing up here. There would be no Rolling Stones. There would be no Beatles. There would be no Jimi Hendrix, um, and so on and so on. So he basically dedicated the show to Chuck. He mentioned Chuck quite a few times during during the show. It was it was really cool, and you could really tell that it was coming from the heart that he wasn't just laying on you know laying on shtick Gene Simmons style. <laughs> um, but they went straight into then they went in the Radioactive, which was great. Yeah, we mentioned that before when he did the show in Cleveland, how great it was to hear that. Nothing to lose. Dr. Love. And and, and um, the different song, he played a couple different songs, I guess, than what he did in Cleveland. He didn't play... Um, well, he didn't play See You Tonight. He didn't play See You Tonight. Mm. Or Charisma. He, or, he did, too, play Charisma. Did he? Absolutely, he 100%. Charisma. Yeah, I think he played... He didn't play. He didn't play. Um, oh, he did. Yeah. See the night. He did play. Watching you, though. Watching you. Oh, watching you. Was amazing. Cool. That band he had was a bunch of guys from Nashville, and it was so freaking tight. They were. Um, they were lights out. Awesome. Um, the sound again was off, mm -hmm. especially at the beginning of the show. Um, Gene was at the comic book convention most of the day. And from the sound of it, when he first came out, they did not do a sound check. Um, oh, Gene's bass was extremely loud when they when he when they first came out, mm. and he yelled at the soundboard guy a couple times. <laughs> kind of made a scene. Yeah. yeah, he goes yeah. you, you, he goes you, 
bitch, whatever your name is, <laughs> can you lower my bass and pump up the, the, the guitars? And the guy didn't do anything. Usually when I say something to you, you're supposed to nod your head and acknowledge that I'm talking. <laughs> he, he was not happy at all. You know, he's he's done that a few times in his career, get pissed off at uh, the crew. It's great when he does, so yeah. excellent. And then his mic stand starts swiveling around, and he, and he goes, here, can I get a roadie out here so my mic stand doesn't do this? And he just pushes it, and the whole thing just turns. <laughs> nice. He, he was definitely – I mean, he – and I guess at the same time, he's spoiled because, you know, obviously he has his bass tech whenever he goes out with Kiss, and it's the same thing. Every time, the guy knows exactly what Gene wants and how he wants it set up yeah. perfectly. So, yeah. But, but it, was, it was not good, though, the way it was set up. But the set list, and we talked about this during the Cleveland show, well, when we, when we talked about the Cleveland show anyway, it was just fantastic. And it was most, it was so refreshing. And you know what? I was telling my buddy Joe Odell after the show, I said, you know, it might have been the best Kiss-related show I've been to mm-hmm. since maybe 2009. And Joe said it might be the best Kiss-related show he's been to since we, we saw Paul on the Live the Wind Tour event. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was the Live the Wind Tour was, was great. That was really it was one of a unique experience, just like this was. So, but... But hearing Got Love for Sale, hearing, hearing Parasite, hearing watching you even, Domino, which yeah, Domino. was great. I mean, it was just fantastic. It was and it's a, it was a good mix. He played the 70s stuff, but then he throws in something like Domino 2 from 92. And, and, it, and again, it was a good mix, like we talked about after the Cleveland show, that he plays Deuce, that he plays I Love It Loud, and he plays... Dr. Love, but then he plays all the other rarities that they played as well, and it's just like, why doesn't Kiss do this? And and I know the answer, and they're not going to. But it was so great to hear a set list of songs that we all love that aren't the same songs every time. So it, it was just fantastic. And then they played Johnny Be Good, and actually, here's a little inside baseball for you. Joe got the set list off the stage. I, I, saw, I saw that on Facebook yesterday. That Joe was... got it for his girlfriend. It was so ridiculous. We're standing there after the show, and they set, the roadies are tearing it down. And there's a you know a bunch of derelict guys like us standing up front, you know, clamoring for anything the roadies can give us. And she just goes, "Hey, I'll take that set list." So the roadie goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> 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 so. But the set list had where Johnny B. Good was had going blind on it. Oh my god. So, you know, obviously they were going to do going blind and because of where where they were on Saturday night and because his funeral was the next day, they did Johnny B. Good, which was which was still cool and it was great to hear that too. Yeah, and Gene respect um, Gene respects rock and roll history. I mean when someone no pa- someone passes like um like Chuck Berry I mean, he's not going to, he may not be the most eloquent of speakers live in concert, but he's going to give you something from the heart, which, uh, you know, I did watch the recordings that have so far surfaced of him and the band doing Those that are song. Great. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, come on, it's touching. You know, Chuck Berry, without whom, come on, any of those guys in the late 50s, shit, would we be listening to Kiss or the Beatles 
if they hadn't had that American stuff to listen to, that then inspired a whole generation. So yeah. Chuck Chuck Berry, he may only have five or six songs that most people can name, but in terms of what he did for the musical landscape, holy shit! And and you know, thumbs up to Gene for acknowledging him. And of course, the funeral was the next day, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. Did Gene stick around for that? Do you know? Gene went to the funeral, and um, he was supposed to do a appearance at Rock and Brews in St. Louis at 1.30 the next day, and it got pushed back to 4 o'clock on that Sunday because he wanted to go to Chuck Berry's funeral, and he went to it, and there's some YouTube footage of him speaking at, at, at Chuck's funeral. You could see Chuck Lane in the, in the casket, you know, below where Gene's up on the stage mm-hmm. talking. Um so it was really cool and it was really heartfelt what he said about Chuck as well. It was just great. And so Gene went to Rock and Brews the next day. Um, for an, he signed a check for a for a military organization. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. But so we decided, yeah, we're gonna go since he's gonna be there. Maybe there's a chance we'll get an autograph or something. Worst it could happen is we don't, you know, but we'll, you know, give it a shot. So I brought two records with me. I brought Gene's solo record, and I brought um, Rock and Roll Over with me. And Joe brought the set list that he had gotten the night before to try to get that signed. And Gene came in, and, you know, and I, he sat down and ate in like this little like isolated VIP area. And then he gets up and he walked around the entire restaurant, all four corners of the restaurant, signing the whole time as he walked. Wow, and it must have taken him a good forty-five minutes to do it, and he just kept signing and taking selfies with people and smiling and signing and signing and signing. It it was a it was one of the classier things I had seen, especially out of, out of a guy like him. Not to downplay him, I mean, but a guy of his stature, it was one of the classiest things I've seen. You know, and I brought two albums. I brought the Gene Simmons solo from '78. He signed that for me, and then I got back in line to get my rock and roll over signed. And he reaches to it with his pen and with his marker, and it doesn't write. It's out of ink. He takes it and he throws the marker over his shoulder. <laughs> so I go, here, I have a silver marker. And he, he takes my silver marker, and it doesn't work. And he looks at me, and he goes, sorry. And he just keeps walking. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Two strikes, Lonnie. So, so his manager sees that I'm all distraught. So she takes my rock and roll over from me, and she goes, I'll get it for you. Comes up from behind him, taps him on the shoulder. Gene, can you sign this? She signs it for him. She gives it back to me. Pretty sweet. She didn't have to do that that's at all. Cool. No, that is, that's very cool. And also very, very cool of Gene. I mean, I know these guys in, in many bands have developed a bit of an issue with the amount of shit that does immediately turn up on eBay. You know, mm-hmm. but to go around the room and just sign and sign and sign. I know some people who would be, ha- you know, having wet dreams over that, that they, they could have brought everything and just be, you know, cycling through it. You know, and, and to get him in the sort of mood where he will, you know, he, yeah, gave, he, he was in great spirits. He, he, gave, he gave you two strikes on his own, right? Before you, had yeah. to, before you need an assist. So I mean, he, I mean, and he tried. I mean, he, he and they didn't sign. And he tried it again. I mean, I and I brought two albums with me, and I thought, you know what, I was going to bring one. I said, I'll, I'll bring two. I go, maybe that's being greedy. I said, but we'll see what happens. I mean, and I could have brought more and had more stuff signed. It was I'm surprised that. he didn't bring revenge. I, uh, he has already resigned revenge for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, I mean, both days were just 
it's just fantastic, not only music-wise at the show, because it was one of the best shows I've seen in a long time, but then, you know, his heartfelt comments at Chuck Berry's funeral the next day, and then him being so personable with the fans the next day as well. And it it was really just a down-the-earth gene that you don't really see and that the public doesn't usually see. Um, I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And I was, I was, you know, saying the other day that, you know, Kiss is coming to Chicago in July for that open air festival. And then he, Gene is actually doing a, a solo show in Chicago, I think in August. And I was like, you know what, if I was going to pick and go to one of them, I'd be more inclined to go to the Gene solo show over the Kiss show at this point. It was that freaking good. And that's what mm. absolutely shocks me, no pun intended, you know, <laughs> is how well he is doing, you know, for someone who's never had to carry the band for a full show. Paul's built a career out of knowing how to read an audience because of his function in the band and having to, you know, he, he may regurgitate raps. People may say, well, he said that last, you know, so what? He has to read the audience and interact. He has to know when to interact. Gene just has to basically sit there and puke blood and breathe flames. You know, he doesn't, he's never had to build up that level of rapport with an audience to know how to lift them, how to interact and not kill the set at the same time. So it's a completely different kind of, uh, you know, function on stage. But I want to ask you, I mean, obviously you've got those couple of different songs, Domino, Watching You, I'm not going to count Johnny Be Good. Um, right. Pick one song musically out of that set that you just went all SpongeBob or rainbows coming out of your eyes, seeing Gene do. I mean, if anyone's seen that SpongeBob, you know, yeah. doing that, you're just yeah. going, you know. <laughs> what, what, what's that one moment, Lonnie? For me, and it's not going to be any surprise to you, but for me, it was Domino to hear mm-hmm. him to hear him do that because he didn't do that at the Cleveland show. He did do that at the Oklahoma show that he did a couple nights beforehand. So I kind of had a feeling it might be coming. But, I, you know, I wasn't for sure. Maybe, maybe you know, he did it in his eye. I just wasn't, wasn't right. Feeling it? You know, sure. I mean, you've, I mean, how many times have you seen a band do a, do a song one time and then they never play it again? So yeah. um, the fact that when he went into that, I was just like, I was, I was definitely in my happy place when, when, he goes in, when he goes in the domino and he's playing that little intro. I was like, man, that's so freaking cool. Was there anything um, in the set that made you do the – opposite and say gene no yes there was and it was and 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 it's and it's going to sound cliche but there's a reason why he did i love it loud and when he did i love it loud he picked out five girls from the audience and had them come up on stage and it kind of slowed things down first of all because you got to bring them up and say come on let's go we could be halfway through another song by now and it gave him a little break, though, too, I guess, because he had to sing all the songs, obviously. But here he comes. He pick, picks out five girls. Here they come. And they sing, the you know, the chant part of I, of I Love It Loud. And it was just, it was kind of corny and kind of cheesy with the girls up at the microphone singing the singing the chant part of that song. And it's just like, I get why you're doing it, because you're Gene Simmons. You're supposed to, you know, bring up the girls for one song, I guess, or whatever your stick is for that but it, it slowed things down for me and 
it, it just wasn't necessary. Not only, and, and then it was that song, which I don't think the song is necessary either. Yeah. But again, we said, I think, but again, I said that, you know, he does, he is playing Deuce. He is playing Calling Dr. Love. He did play I Love It Loud. He did play Rock and Roll Night. He played plenty of standards. But I don't, so I, I get why he plays that, though. Just like I get why Kiss plays it. Um, and then for Rock and Roll All Night, he picked out 10 guys and brought 10 guys up to the stage and they sang Rock and Roll All Night. You know, like if, if somebody had Gene Simmons makeup on, like there was one guy in the front row center who had Gene makeup and costume on. So he was like the first one to come up, of course. Okay, fine. I get it. Um, but then, I don't know, but then some guy, I mean, there's, there's always the douchebag in the crowd who goes up to the side, oh, yeah, he picked me. So this guy's all, like, who are you, dude? He didn't pick you. You know, and, and Gene even looked at this guy, one of these guys, he came up and goes, who are you? <laughs> it's like, you know, you're, there's always the douchebag in the crowd who goes, oh, look, oh, my shoes say calling Dr. Love on them. Gene's like, all right, that's great. <laughs> he just was not this guy at all. Like, I didn't pick you. What are you doing up here? Go away. <laughs> No, but, fortunately, he's had forty years of dealing with Kiss fans. So. Oh yeah, he, 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 he yeah. wasn't a surprise to him that some that there's a couple of schmucks like that are gonna, that are going to do that. Yeah, I'll say I'll say versus Oklahoma. The what is it, Brahman? I'm actually on Setless FM. I have not built the FAQ pages for Gene's tour yet. I do apologize, Gene. Um, they did shout it out loud, which I just yeah, thought, I saw that. Yeah, oh, that, I was glad they didn't. That kind of makes me cringe, you know, doing that without Paul is Mm -hmm. you know it's just one of those songs it's never one of my favorite anyway but you know uh, otherwise the the whole thing you know when they do i love it loud that's getting towards mid-set that's like hump day and so bring the the girls up on stage it's kind of cornball i can see gene getting off on that you know bring up some of the ladies bring up some of the guys later so that they're you know that's just you know kind of gene very gene any of the family around do you see shannon or any of the either of the kids I, I think that it was a tough sell to say, hey, let's go to St. Louis for the weekend. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the three of them would have said, where's that? If, they, if you would have said, let's go to St. Louis. For, I'm going to St. Louis for the weekend. Do you want to come? Um, no, I, di- I did not see any of the family around um, or any other KISS members um, around. No Keith LaRue, no... No, no, Eric, no Tommy, nobody from the the inner circle. But Joe Adele was there, so that's good enough. So. Joe Adele was there, yep. and he got his set list signed twice. So, so, so he'll be a happy guy. <laughs> so, let why, why don't we get in? Unless you have any final thoughts on that, and it really sounds like one of those things that if Gene is advertising, uh, come to one of my shows. Lonnie is a good advertisement right now of go to one of his shows. It is. It, I mean, I, I it would... sounds like a don't miss it if you get the chance. And so, Gene, yeah. San Francisco needs you. San Francisco is a really, you know, depressing piss pot of a place that really needs a Gene Simmons show <laughs> to make life worth living. <laughs> yes. I don't know how you guys. I don't know how you guys stand it up there. <laughs> you know, you know, shit. Next, but, next but, week, but, yeah, but, I got two shows like, to go to. Yeah, yeah, you guys don't get any shirts out there. <laughs> like, I had, I had a guy standing next to me, though, from Kansas City. Um, I was talking to a couple of guys from Nashville. You know, I mean, there, there were people from the Midwest that were definitely traveling to this because, because you know, it's not going to many cities. So the hardcore fans were there, and I think that if, 
if I was in their shoes, I probably would have done the same thing had it been, you know, reversed that. Cause I mean, when Paul did live to win, I drove to Chicago for that. I wasn't going to miss that. So I'm sure I would, I would have done the same thing had it had Gene Solo shows not come here. If it would have been somewhere, you know, halfway drivable. All right. Before, before we move on two last questions, yes, sir. live to win versus Gene mm. uh, head to head, Paul or Gene. Which one that's, was? Which one are you gonna say wins your vote? You're only allowed one, and you can't sit on the post. That's really tough because <laughs> Paul's vocals were still they were, top notch they were in good. 2006. Yep, he was dynamite that night, and I saw the, the show I went to was the one live Kiss show in Chicago. Damn. And if, I mean, if you watch that, he is just—he's amazing. Come There's on. no he, good. He no. hit it out of the park. That uh, come on, and he brought in I mean, a million to one of magic touch and hide your heart. Yeah, and he fucking I mean, slayed him. Oh, it, it, it's a it, that that is a tough pick because, like you just said, Paul brought out some classic songs we haven't heard before or since. Gene's done the same thing. Um, at the end of the day, I'm still gonna say Paul Stanley though. Nice. Just be just because. Paul Stanley to me is Kiss at the end of the day, um, after all said and done. And Paul's, especially Paul's vocal, Paul's vocals to me are what what Kiss sounds like. Um, and that's not to degrade Gene at all. I mean, I, I spent we spent the last half hour talking about how how great that Gene show was. Um, but if I had to choose, I would have to say Paul Stanley. But if you ask me again. Tomorrow, I might have a different answer for you. It's that, that those two shows were that freaking good. And like Joe said too, it's the best kiss things I've seen since one life, since the Live the Wind tour. Mm-hmm. And I, I said '09 because I really enjoyed some of those shows in '09. But it's it's it they were it was incredible. It really was. Wow. So there you are, folks. Um, if you're on the fence, it sounds like you ought to get down off it. And uh, if you get the opportunity to see Gene Simmons solo, take that opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous as hell. It, it sounded like a blast. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to the stuff that we've got, you know, in the Bay Area, which is, you know, not quite as exciting as a Gene Simmons solo show in that Kiss is performing next week. But yeah, you get a Kiss show. I, I get a Kiss show. So uh, you know what? I'll I'll take it. You know, no, no complaints. All right, so let's get into what was supposed to be today's topic, um, you know, following my rather long monologue and Lonnie's rather long monologue. <laughs> we're going to let know, the other two guys talk. <laughs> we're we're going to let Ken and Mark have some input in this show. Um, Ken, this was your topic, double platinum. <laughs> Yeah, double platinum. You know, um, wake up now because this was your topic. Uh, so, what, why don't you yeah. walk us through your thoughts on uh, how we want to kind of look at this because it's anniversary time for that album, of course. Yeah, it's uh, shortly short time ago, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, maybe ago. Um, it was the 39th anniversary of Double Platinum, which is kind of the first Kiss, I guess you say, compilation as far as like hits if you want to call them hits right um and that came out in 1978 and uh i i remember that that was actually my second uh kiss album i bought uh, the, the first one being and thank you mark for showing everything the 
platinum award that came in and it and you know the album cover and so on so um but uh that was yeah my second one i had live two first so i was getting familiar and with kiss and then the next best thing was to get some of the earlier stuff too um and anything that came before uh and Double Platinum was perfect for me to get acquainted with some songs off of, you know, the first, you know, six albums. So um, it was it was a great starting point for me. And then from there, I listened to those songs and I thought, OK, I'm going to go for this album next, you know, based on what I was hearing um, and kind of went one at a time and, you know, kept going. But I just want to talk about Double Platinum since it's the anniversary and that uh you know, what do we think about it? You know, when did you get it? Or when did you first hear about it? When did you get it? Uh, and what did you think of the songs? And, for instance, like, you know, the, the you know, new recording of Strutter, and Strutter 78, and and the remixes, and the packaging, the whole, the whole deal. So, so one of the cool things about that is, it, you know, even for me getting on board in 1985, it was a very similar thing. That when mm-hmm. I was going through the tape store, Magic City Records in Binghamton, I looked at the cover of the cassette, and I saw copyright 1974, 75, 76, 77. I'm like, okay, that's got a lot of stuff on it. My musical knowledge back then didn't mean shit, and I just saw a lot of copyrights of different years, so it made sense. I don't know where it fell in, you know, specifically in the order in which I bought the older Kiss albums once I got into the band, but it was pretty, it's, you know, up there near the top for one reason. To this day, that version of Strutter is the version I hear in my head whenever I think of Strutter. So it really must have been pretty early on for me personally, um, you know, it, it to this day, it's a very, very good selection of the classic Kiss era material. Mark, how, how did it? I mean, you're another '85 guy as well, you know. So, <clears throat> well, um, I I really like this record. Um, when it comes to my many moods, when it comes to Kiss records, um, when I when I don't, don't want to pull out a specific record, I find that this is the record I always want to go to and listen to because, like you said, there's, there's such a great selection of songs on here. And the fact that they're remixed and they're sort of different from the original versions of it make it that much more enjoyable to listen to. I mean, some songs I find a little, uh, still to this day, find a little odd. Like when you listen to like Firehouse and all of a sudden that'll, that bell comes and it just starts right back up at the riff again. I'm kind of like, what the heck? Like it still kind of catches me off guard. But uh, I like the way they did like Black Diamond, how it ends and then it goes back into the acoustic part at the beginning. I think that's kind of a cool thing rather than that long droning slowed down tape thing, which is like, holy shit. It's like three minutes of it slowing down, right? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't mind the 78 Strutter. I always thought it was a, you know, little interesting uh, remix of it. You know, really all it is is just, you know, double time on the hi-hat as opposed to just what he was doing before. And, you know, there's a little bit of extra lead work and a little bit of extra lines, but it's still cool, you know. And it, and it also contains my favorite version of Calling Dr. Love on there. I oh, really yeah. love the version on that. So mm-hmm. that's 
that's all the reason for me to whip out my many variations of the record and listen to whichever one tickles my fancy for that evening. Nice. Lonnie, as a, another later fan, when did it kind of fall into your wheelhouse? It was, again, like like all of you, it was one of the earlier albums that I had. Um, simply for the reason of, and you got to remember, before there was a, a thing called iTunes, you know, you if you if when you were getting into a band, that was the move, was to go buy the greatest hits. Um, and kind of get, you know, okay, well, how, how deep do I want to invest my money into this band? Let me, let me buy one of their greatest hits albums. Because well, I know some of these songs already. I may have some of these songs already on, on something else. Let me, let me get a, a good taste for this band by buying their greatest hits. That was always the move, um, especially when you didn't have a lot of money when you were a kid and, you know, you had, you had a limited income of, of what you had to pick and choose what which album you're going to get once you had mowed enough lawns or walked enough dogs or whatever, you know, <laughs> and which was definitely the, my case. Um, so I, I, you know, I had animalized when I was a, a young kid and I had love gun on audio cassette when I was a young kid. And then like revenge, I think was the first one I had on CD. And then I think Double Platinum came short, and I when I and I had my brother had Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits on cassette, so I, that got me acquainted with 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 Deuce, with Strutter, with um, I Was Made for Loving You. I, we we also and he also had Destroyer and Creatures of the Night on cassette, so we had a, a, a mixture between the two of us, you know. And you guys remember in the eighties, if my brother had a cassette and I had a cassette, well, you, you know, you just make each other a copy of it. Or whatever, too. And that was just how you did it. And so, I mean, I, I had a fairly good groundwork um, for Kiss. But I thought, okay, well, and I, I think Double Platinum came shortly after those albums that I listed that my brother and I had together. Um, simply for the fact that, okay, well, he has this. Well, I can get a good copy of this when I buy it on CD of the song when I have it on CD. And then there are some other songs on here too that, that I don't have that I'm not as familiar with, like, like cold gin and black diamond. I, I don't, I don't know those yet because I didn't have a live yet and I didn't have the original album yet. So I'll get acquainted with, with these albums. And I also see those on a live, but let me get this. I'll get the studio version first, which is in hindsight, you look at that. What a dumb movie where we double platinum <laughs> live. <laughs> but that's what I did. And Again, like you guys said, a lot of the, again going back to that because of the timeline in which I bought it, a lot of those songs are the version that I'm most familiar with. Um, like calling Doctor Love, that that's that's the version that sticks with me still. Um, even even Strunner, again, that's it's the first song on on the CD. It was the version that that sticks with me. Um, but and, and then some songs like I didn't know any better, like like Black Diamond, like Mark was saying. And then when I bought the original, I'm like, what the hell is this at the end of the song? <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is awful. <laughs> just so, you know, um, obviously a great idea to, to update that and include that on, on another record a couple of years later. Um, but it, it's a great mix um, for a Kiss fan in 
in Ken's case in the seventies, who Kiss was at their at their peak. Um, we don't have a lot of Kiss albums. Well, let me buy the greatest hits. And that was always the move. And in the eighties, for me, it was the same thing. Eighties, early nineties, for me, um, it was the same same thing. And and Julian and and Mark, same boat. So that's really kind of a lost thing today, though. Is is the greatest hits album? Because if you want a song, kids today just go buy the song. I'm, my wife always says I'm the only one on earth who still buys CDs. So, except for you guys, of course. <laughs> I, yeah, you you, uh, you know, yeah. singles are lost art. Uh, you know, best ofs yeah, yeah. are kind of, I guess, more kind of appropriate nowadays. Let's just talk a little bit about Strutter 78. I mean, being the first song on the first side is the one that's kind of definitive to me, for better or worse. But, you know, there was always this one quote that I loved. I put it in the demo focus, and it's Paul. We once recorded a song. It was Strutter. And I thought that it sucked. It was bullshit. There was no reason to do it. It was pointless because we had no new point of view and no reason to recut something that came out so good the first time. Cool quote. Um, I would say Strutter never came yep. out as good as it did from the March 73 demo, which is by far the best version, even if it's not the definitive one in my head. You know, all the additional ace guitar work on that just makes it, uh, you know, you know, far oh, yeah. far better. Did it make any sense to record anything? I know they'd kind of done this the previous year, you know, Nothing to Lose live. That had been a single in 74. Next year, they come and do Strutter 78. That had been a failed single in 74. You know, it's like they're almost calculating and going back. In, in place of that, two-part question, and this go to you first, Mark, is, you know, any was it any point in revisiting Strutter, or should they have put on another track and maybe a non-album track? What do you, what do you think? Um, I, I think that it made sort of sense to do it because i mean when you want to release a, a record you want to have a sort of a selling point i mean sure the greatest hits in itself are supposed to be the reason that you're getting it but to have that one extra little icing on the cake you know we have a new version of the song something that's never been heard before is maybe enough to reel people in to go out and get it and i mean i remember this record vividly back then because even even when i was getting into kiss i mean double platinum was a very popular record and i mean i know for a fact that it was top 20 in canada when it came out so the, the, a lot of people had bought it and i mean i remember even like when i was going over to some friend's house the big thing back then was to get the piece of paper and the pencil and to put it on the embossed thing and you know, go over those guys' faces and stuff like that. And there was all kinds of things you could do with it. It was one of those records that people really got into on many levels, whether it was that or listening to the songs. And I think that Strutter 78, it, because it was something different and they did use it as the single as well, so it served a multi-purpose there. You know, it was the first thing they put out to promote the album to radio. And it was also something that they tried to use to lure people to buy the record besides the fact that it was the greatest hit. So it was something different. You know, Strutter 78, whoa, you know, Kiss was hot at that time. So anything new they would have made at that point, I think, would have caught people's attention. And most importantly, that single version of Strutter 78 is different than the version yeah. that is oh, yeah. on the that, album. That That's one of the best things about that, that singles box set was when I played that. I'm like, holy shit. 
Yeah, I, I, it sounded so much different than even the the, album, the version on the album. The amount yeah. of the amount of echo on the drums at the beginning is just mm-hmm. you know it's a different mix, obviously. But uh, you know, again, one of the coolest things on that Casablanca singles box set. Ken, what was your initial impression of like Strata seventy eight? Yay or nay or again, you know, same question that I gave Mark was should there have been a different track on there? It was, well, it was the first time me hearing that song. <laughs> so and uh, I thought it was okay because I hadn't heard the first or original song. I thought it was it was okay. And but going back when I went to the original uh, uh, finally got the you know bought the first album. I liked actually I liked the the original better than than this version. That's just my opinion, but that's I, I liked it better. I thought, oh, well, this is how it was originally done. It was, this is pretty darn good, you know. Um, so I don't know. It, they were kind of forcing it. As far as I'm concerned, I, I think they just kind of forced it. And I can see where Paul's coming from. Like there was no reason to really do it. Uh, I think a better selling point for Kiss would have been to put a brand new one new song on there uh nothing like they did with smashes thrashes where they put those horrible songs on there but i'm sure they were writing they're still writing they were still writing good stuff at this time period so they could have put something you know good on there i know i read about i think it was in your book doing that uh that they had uh recorded you know uh, you know the queen for a day or something you know? yeah and th- that was dale sherman's book black diamond i, I believe he yeah. suggested mm-hmm. that they'd sent the master tapes out to england to be worked on and they included queen for a day so that always kind of boggled my mind that if they had a bed track a music just the music of a song called queen for a day and ace had already done you know finally done his lead vocal with shock me and if Queen for a Day was written for him in '76, why didn't they finish it off? You know, because if you look at it, they didn't put Shock Me on this on Double Platinum. Right? Yeah, it's like Jesus. So why why not get a nice vocal on this? Why redo uh, Strutter, which didn't work as a single the first time round? You know, when you know, it, it's just I guess it'll be one of those mysteries, you know, in history. Of, of why that didn't come together, or yeah. if or if it even did, I never saw the supporting documentation that Dale used for you know Black Diamond. I've never seen anything in any of the stuff that I've come up with, um, document-wise, over the band's well, history for that. Mark. Well, what's the what I'm curious about is where is Double Platinum in the timeline? Like, as far as where are you working on uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom, or was that before, or was that after? Or? That's after. Mm-hmm. You know, Double Platinum happens as a result of them taking the extra time in order to do the Phantom and the solo album project. That it was going to take a long time in between the release of Alive 2, which didn't quite fulfill the contractual obligations. So Neil Bar- Bogart had every right to issue a compilation. And to be frank, I mean, look at the arc of their timeline. It was the right time to do a compilation. They'd had, what, one, two, three, four, five studio albums at that point. You know, it it fit in nicely in terms of having a downtime for the band, for Casablanca to just keep pumping out product. And, and that was all that Bogart was about, was product. You know, he didn't give a shit. He loved singles. So yeah. well, here- I'm just... I'm just wondering if that's why maybe they didn't go back in and make a new song. Were they too swamped with other 
things at that time to go in and do it or well yeah. pa- paul was in the studio ace was in the studio mm-hmm. working on their own gene god knows what gene was doing i mean he was always in the studio you know or he was moguling or he was sharing and he's doing something else <laughs> that's why i said sharing <laughs> in 78 uh, so yeah there, there's enough reason why it wouldn't have been feasible to get them in the studio to finish a new song but what's the difference between finishing a new song and re-recording an old song there's really I, I gotta say mark there's not that much they know how to play strutter but here they are trying to update it slightly i i've never gotten the kind of argument of oh we're gonna give it a little bit of a disco that fuck the disco treatment <laughs> there's nothing disco about that it's just more echo no. does adding yeah. an echo make it disco no um so how could it have been any more difficult than say hey curly come over here and put on some lead and sing <laughs> yeah so th- i think there's more to that story which w- would be kind of cool That's interesting Let's go through some of the major remixes. You know, Hard Luck Woman, Calling Dr. Mm-hmm. Love. Who mentioned Calling Dr. Love? Because that's another one that kind of stands Ken. out for me. Ken. Or Mark. Mark. Or Mark did? I just, yeah. Sorry. Mark. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really I really like I mean, just the whole... What I like better about this version of it is just that whole build-up vibe at the very beginning with that whole kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sinister kind of almost like breathing thing going on in there as they, before he started into that whole almost like a reverse backward thing going into the guitar riff i think it's really cool and just the whole way they sort of mixed it that time it's just i just find it's a lot more impactful i mean uh, don't get me wrong i love rock and roll over to my favorite kiss album but i think that if they would have put that version on rock and roll over wow that would have been like you know fantastic it would have been like an 11 out of 10 that record for sure then but uh you know i i really I really like the way they, they redid uh, Calling Dr. Love. It's, 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 it just was, it just, I think that this version just ends up being more of what I envisioned the song could have been. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it just plays more off of his lyrics and it just, it gives it more of a Gene vibe, I think, than the original. So this is basically Sean Delaney trying to make all these disparate producers sound the same. Ken, to your ears, <laughs> did it work? Did he do a good job? I think he did okay on uh, certain ones. Uh, I think the the deal is he was trying to, you know, there's different albums and all they're all mixed differently, and so he's he's mm-hmm. trying to level them out. Uh, so there, you know, there's no drastic change. You, you you listen one song, the next song is like way up, like whoa, you know, this one's a lot more, you know. Uh, you know he's high. trying to make it. He's trying to make it all like Ezra stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to make it all like Ezra because he couldn't toy with the Ezra stuff because the te- Ezra stuff was when he recorded that stuff. You can't go back and yeah. change it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So um, he tried to put it to that level, I guess, the the destroyer level, um, which you know that's fine. It works. Um, but yeah, I, I I was okay with some of the remixes and some of them was like I, I didn't like. Uh, yeah. I didn't like, for instance, the rock bottom intro opening up. For, it just that just didn't make mm-hmm. any sense for sure. It's too for light, too. You can barely hear it unless you yeah. really crank it yeah. up. It's, and they it's only just use barely there, and it's just like, why? Why is that? They I only there? use part of the part of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that intro. Um, uh, the you know, 
on just a kill it's much better it works much better and it's the full mm-hmm. thing and it goes right into rock bottom um of course we're used to it you know <laughs> um the other thing like mark said the remakes with the uh or the black diamond one um which yeah we didn't like the droning i was just would have liked the back to how they do the acoustic at the end you know but i would have not had any vocals on it i would have just had the acoustic fade out exactly absolutely i thought cool. that would have worked out yeah. perfect um but yeah i mean i see what they're trying to do they're trying to make something different uh something to you know get people to you know buy i guess yeah but the but the problem though what they don't seem to realize is that every record there's something different going on like that there's a different drum kit peter had for the first record mm-hmm. than he would have had for like destroyer and then what he would have had for you know love gun and the amps that they used for the first record would not have been the same that they used for even drastic kill or for you know for yeah. rock and roll over so and those things all make a difference you put a different kind of microphone on something it sounds different all of a sudden so there's no way you can make it sound all the same unless you were to do something like that now because you could make samples of a drum kit and add those samples to every single song and you have a same sounding drum kit for the entire thing and you can do kind of stuff like that similarly too with guitar stuff you can add different kind of guitar simulators and stuff like that and you can get get it similar but back then they didn't have a prayer in hell of making a ken ken kerner and richie weiss production sound like a you know like a bob ezrin or a, a eddie kramer there's no way no, yeah. and, and oddly, they didn't mess around with any of that stuff. I mean, everything that was adjusted was stuff like Harlock Woman, which is a, another uh-huh. one of the ones oh, yeah. which is, you know, kind of one of my favorite versions off this album is the version of Hard Luck Woman on there. Mm-hmm. Calling Dr. Love that we mentioned, Firehouse, Deuce, 100,000 Years, Detroit Rock City, which, you know, it's always going to be a hatchet job, whatever you're trying to do with that, if you're using the studio version because yeah. of everything that Bob did with the song. And, you know, well, I don't really want to say his name. Um, yeah. Rock Bottom shouldn't be on there. And I I don't have it handy, the uh, timings what? on either side. Uh, what, the timing? You know, whether that was just thrown on there to balance out the length of the side. But yeah. uh, b- before I ask you any of, the, any of these other uh, kind of other questions about it, um, interesting thing is I, I was just reaching over to try and find this Casablanca audit from June 79, which Ooh. suggests that Double Platinum had shipped 1.3 million copies by right. June 79. So that that's impressive. That shows, yeah, that, that's impressive. you know, that's a win for Neil Bogart. Yeah. You okay, Mark? Yeah, yeah. It's my my dog is uh, getting a little needy out there in the living room. <laughs> yeah, in, so. in, in the middle of taping, when someone goes, "What?" You know, it's like either the dog or the kid. You know, one of the two things. So, it, um, it, it's a dog, and she's now on her. There's Lonnie at work still. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the other interesting thing about this is uh, I was re- I was counting the songs. Actually, uh, I think they had six six songs from the first album um on this which is that's a good amount uh that they put on here and the, and and the most recent album which was love gun i think they only put one one yeah 
And that's probably because they're not good. They're not. Love Gun just came out the year before, so I, I get where they're coming at there. I mean, yeah. I guess they could have put one one other one maybe on there that like Christine sixteen is a a big miss I think for being on yeah. this album. I think Love Gun still has some legs at that point though. Yeah, but yeah, shock, we're not ready to shock cash me. In on that. Shock me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, shock me instead of yes. I still your love for that matter, you know. But I, I think that they still ha- they they still Probably. were thinking that Love Gun still has some legs, and we're not really ready to. I think I think they thought if we put the best songs off of Love Gun on here, well, it's going to slow down the sales of their most recent studio album. And I I, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, but yeah. if you're if, but if you're taking a snapshot of those first six albums, you know, obviously there's there's some songs on there. That, that shouldn't be in, in some glaring omissions if you're just taking a snapshot of those six albums. But All you right. know what, though? If you think about it, you know this book, they, they yeah. keep talking about, and, and all four of them say the same thing, they, they talk so highly of the first album, you know, saying how mm-hmm. it's one of the best things they've ever done, and that record in itself is almost the greatest hits with all the songs on there that they yeah. still use sure. to this point. So, of course, there'd be six on there. I wasn't really surprised about that. It is more surprising, like you guys said, that there's no Shock Me or there's no Christine 16. That's more shocking to me than there's six songs from the first album. Especially when it's supposed to be a double platinum. a You know, it's celebrating mm-hmm. to, you know, a sales plateau. You know, it doesn't even have Rocket Ride on it, which was a top 40 single. Mm-hmm. So, so forget, you're not going to detract from record sales, I don't think, when you're packaging up a compilation. I already gave you the 1.3 sales figures. You know, Alive 2 by mid-79s, you know, 2.8 million. And Love Guns at 1.9 million. So I, I don't think you're going to detract from those sales because people are going to see the artwork on Love Gun and, oh, yeah, that's cool, buying it. Or Alive 2, cool, I'm buying it. So... I I don't buy into those being excluded. And Sean's no longer with us, so... You know, that's going to be one of those questions we don't get asked. This could also be for the people that, you know, actually didn't want to go out and buy a Kiss album and thought, well, what's what's all the fuss about? I guess I'll get to pick up this one that is, you know, has... supposed to have a bunch of the good songs or hits on it. So, you know, take a chance on it. So so why does it not then represent every Kiss album in the catalog? Why is there no Alive version, say, of Rock and Roll All Night, and no Alive mm-hmm. 2 version of what what was a single that came out for Alive 2 Live? Um, I'm bringing was it Shout Out Loud? Shout Out Loud. Was it Shout Out Loud? Yeah. 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 You know, so, so why aren't those on in place of the Destroyer? It's odd. You know, th- this is a career encompassing to that time, and yet you're o- omitting their most successful album. If you're getting some casual fan and saying, well, here is a compilation, Lonnie, are you going to go out and buy this if there's nothing from Alive on it if you didn't already know that? Or am I just, no. or am I just being obtuse? No, I don't, I don't think it's going to curtail me from buying it. You know, because um... it's shiny. And Kiss fans buy shiny. It's shiny. It, well, yeah. It, it's well. I mean, if you're a kid at the record store, you're exactly right. Yeah. It's shiny and it's shiny well, it's a double. It's a it's a double record and it's I. 
<laughs> you know, and just thinking about my purchasing experience of it, buying it, I, I don't think I really sat there. You know, I didn't sit there and analyze it this much. Like, well, there's only one song off of Love Gun on it here. So, you know, I, I, I think that, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it's a greatest hits album, and, I'm, and I don't have some of these songs. And I think more than anything, at the end of the day, it's it's that. And that's what people, and, and that's why, you know, it sold well. Um, the thing, I, but it, but it know, isn't. But it isn't an accurate snapshot of the first six albums with only one song off of Love Gun. I will say that. Go ahead, Ken. You know, that's right. I'm uh, sorry. Um, you know, I, one thing I noticed they probably should have done is, you know, you have the song listing. They should have listed what song, what albums they were c- coming off of. It doesn't tell you what song came off of what on here. Um, that's interesting. Think, A lot of greatest hits albums do. Yeah, a better selling point would be to, you know, at least you list, okay, from the album, Kiss, from the, the album, Hotter Than Hell, from the album, whatever. And then some, okay, oh, I like those songs. Like, okay, I'm going to go get that album, you know, and kind of directs them well, it, to, yet to buy. Yet your, your dust leaves for Alive too, right? On the flip side of the crowd, you've got a picture of every album. In the gatefold exactly. to Alive, you've got every album. Yeah. So that's a really... That's I've never even thought of that. That that it, that's a good point. That's a really big missed opportunity for Casablanca to be selling product right. that you're you're opening it up. You've got the cool gate for it's all embossed and shit, but you've got nothing selling the catalog and the merchandise order form. Yeah, it's all black and silk and black and white. Yeah. Did anybody ever try to uh, trace the pictures to try to? See? I, I, I just, people did that to try to see if what what Kiss looked like without makeup, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I was saying that I said that earlier that we did that. We used to get the paper okay, back yeah, there, and we yeah, we were yeah. doing that back then, right? Can I mean, you say you had your original one still? Did you fill out your Devil Platinum Award to yourself? Did you write on it? I did. I yes, yes. I, I, <laughs> stupid. I think I I had it. The yeah, the original one. I think yes. I wrote my name on there. Yes. I think I have it still. I. I, I don't have it. It might be that, in the. In that's, the that's I'll see if I can find it. Wait, this is the. This is not the one that. This is a a different one. But I'll tell you what. I'll pull out my other one and see if it's in there. I've been in another box. So oh, we'll, we'll oh the, the problems of Kiss fans. Did you fill in your <laughs> award? I got it on cassette, and it was one of those yeah, mid eighties polygram cassettes. Yeah. You cut open the order. You cut the order sheet. Smell <laughs> it back in. The order sheet's not complete. And you just devalued your island right. 30 years later. So I, I'm actually sitting on everything, everythingkiss.com right now. I'm, I don't know. Mark, you do collector stuff. Have you ever seen the uh, in-store promos, the arrow pointing down or any of that shit for double platinum? No, I've, I, I haven't. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering here as we're talking about this, that... I think the reason why some of these things don't weren't on there is, and I think it was it Lonnie who brought this up, that really we us four, for example, represent the total diehard uh, sort of people, and I don't think the general public focuses in on all this stuff nearly as much as people huh. like us do. Like <laughs> not even they're nitpicking apart the track listing. <laughs> Exactly. If people like the general public were to hear us right now talking about this, they're probably thinking like we're nuts here. Like, why are these guys, you know, putting so much attention into this stuff? Like, why can't they just enjoy the music? I heard that once from somebody in my family. Like, why would you want to spend so much time analyzing all this stuff? Can't you just enjoy the music for what it is? You know, it's like, well, I do. But, you know, we take it one step further. Right. It's because we enjoy the music so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're Kiss fans. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find. Uh, I, oh, it's, it's not in there. It's, I think it's. I put it in another in a box somewhere. I know I have it, and I know I wrote my name on there. <laughs> I think I, I even wrote my name on the the Kiss Army card when I, you know, had the Kiss Keep Army packet. Going to Kiss Army, yeah, the little membership card. But I'm sorry, I I always found that to be the tackiest piece of premium <laughs> ever included. It's a shot at Ken out of nowhere. No, it, well, you know, it's not, it's not a shot at anyone. I just I just thought it was the dumbest thing ever when I first got made a vital it, version. It would have worked good if they made. At this a flexi disc instead, <laughs> right? That's actually playable Ooh. with a song. Now that would have no, been cool, right? Not with a song. A put it on the disc has a secret message from the Knights uh, and Saints. Yeah, from the band. <laughs> yeah. Someone should try it. Put it on your you record player and see you what happens. Oh, yeah. So, so Ken and Mark, I know you you guys both collect. Um, do either of you have the Australian white cover? No, I do not have that yet. It's you know it's very expensive. And it's heard. I heard it's like like it's like trying to find like a you know the white elephant or like something. Trying to each one's like three hundred and over three hundred dollars easy, right? Oh, it's four three hundred four figures. Yeah, it's four four figures at least. And, you know? I don't think you're going to get in less than twelve fifty on on that one if you're lucky. You, oh, know, that right? you know, as I sell off my collection, I think about the things that I would kind of like. You know, if I'm going to keep one album, one record, one remaining yeah. Kiss item in my in my home, you know, right now it's up there between the originals too, just because that's the coolest freaking thing that I ever came across that I, I thought wasn't real, or the white Australian Astor, you know, issue of that. Just, you know, just cool. The funny thing is, though, I, I I'm always sore when I talk about that version of it because it's almost got me kicked off kicked off of Kiss My Wax, my little <laughs> debates about that. Without about that yeah. record, I, because I feel I I feel that there's just absolutely asinine how much people are paying for this record. I mean, really, all you're paying for is a different album cover. That's all you're doing. There's nothing different about the thing. It's just it's the same album. Because you're paying for a white cover, like really twelve hundred fifty dollars for that? I can go to a printing press and make one that's white like that and put my double platinum records into it. And that's you the know? problem. I mean, and that's the problem, Mark. That people will do that, and I think that's going to be the next. You know, some of that stuff's going to be the next pirated. You know, kind of kiss collectibles, no, making probably. it so that no one will want to touch it. Is suddenly. Oh, I found a box of twenty-five of these in Mom's basement, and <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for, I'm, I'm well, gonna let was... I'm, I'm gonna let them go. And Kiss fans, being you know some of the best people in the world, aren't gonna necessarily think immediately that something nefarious is going on. Just to the the same point of like the Australian hundred thousand year single, you know, that magically surfaced a few years ago that I'd never seen in any list that. A lot of people I know who had never seen, apparently it's legit, but, you know, I still have my qualms about it and I've never dropped a dime on it. You know, the Australian white cover is one of those legendary things because of the story that goes with it. That Astor, Hmm. you know, like every other country, the UK got copies of the Mylar cover that were made in America and slapped a sticker on it. My copy's behind me. I'm not going to get up and go and get it. I think it's just got the the CALD um, pie code yeah. on a white yeah. sticker on the back of it you know and then it was mm-hmm. domestic vinyl shoved into it the japanese one um the initial one 
I believe, and people will correct me if I'm wrong, was just the American one, and with the sticker, I, I still have a double platinum track listing sticker that's not been used, which came from a Japanese copy that I had. Mm-hmm. You know, so in most countries, you know, you had the domestic vinyl with the imported cover, and Australia, you, you know, number one, I think it's a really cool story that they ran out. That yeah. Kiss was popular enough in a country with that small population and with bands like ACDC that Kiss ran out of covers that they, yeah. had, they had to take matters into their own hand. So that to me makes it worth the kind of the dollar value. Ken, you're, you're putting your stuff all back like we're finishing up here. No, I'm just, I don't know if you want to see Mark. Did, did Mark show this? No, that's what, no, I, I, that's no. what I've been waiting for, the black and white merchandise order form. Yeah, they, so they sold the, it was the Mylar-type posters they were selling then and, and other stuff. Uh, looks like a belt buckle there and, sh- of course, shirts. And, yeah, that's the mm. original uh, I, don't th- I, I don't think I've ever set. seen anyone wearing a double platinum T-shirt. No. no. Yeah, no. that's true. You, you, see, you see unmasked I, ones? Never. I, at least I never do, so... I just got to say, though, that the, I mean, the package itself is, is fantastic. I think it's just a great idea that they came up with. The, it's right up I there mean, with, with Alive and Alive, too. It really is. It's just very cool um, with the embossing and the, the, you know, it's nice and shiny, like we said. So it's something yeah. different. Yep. So that that's kind of double platinum. I, I can't think of anything kind of to add to this conversation about that album. You know, it, it's an iconic album in that you look at the packaging, you look at, I, I think Sean Delaney did a very good job of kind of equalizing all the material so that it all worked as a single package. Yeah, there are little critiques to how he went about it, most notably the rock bottom intro being the sore thumb and possibly Strutter 78 being pointless. But, you know, for what it was at that time in their career, it's a, it's a very cool addition to... Sorry. What the? <laughs> Don't even know. So as we wrap up this episode, we go Sorry. back to Tim and Don in the studio. Thank you, Lottie. Uh, you know. <laughs> I hit the wrong thing on my phone. I, I just say that if if anyone's out, new new fans are out there and they haven't, you know, are trying to just, you know, getting into Kiss and want to hear some of that, they should buy. Uh, Double platinum, at least get a little bit of the six albums that were out. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's still a better sampler of the core part of the Kiss's catalog. It's even better than the very best of Kiss, which is the other de facto, I guess, uh, greatest hits package. Oh, no, I, I think it still serves its purpose today. That it, um, even though greatest hits albums, you know, people don't buy. I don't think buy great. Don't buy albums anymore per se, but I, I think it still serves its purpose today um, for someone who's trained or looking into exploring more about KISS if they don't have anything that um, it's a it's a great sample of what KISS was all about the, for the first six records and it's, it's still a good starting point for where someone can go if they want to delve deeper in. 
Of course, we're talking to KISS fans on this show, so Lonnie, your sales pitch right there ain't going to work because everyone's already got five copies who's listening to this show. Yeah, it's an excellent point. If you're this deep into this nerdum discussion, I I think you already have the first six albums. But but I still think it serves its purpose, though, for a a new KISS fan. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Iron Maiden, Seventh Son of Seventh Son. You've got six copies of six albums, you know. All right, so let's wrap that up. That is our episode for today. Lonnie, thank you very much for walking us through your experiences with Uncle Gene. I mean, that's just fantastic to hear the positivity that comes out of that experience and getting to see him perform live. Uh, Mark and Ken, thank you very much for joining for the discussion on Double Platinum. And again, as has been said, it still remains, I I guess, a, a very good representation of Kiss's career you know even if it excludes everything after 1978 that's not necessarily such a bad thing when you go back to the core of what the band is about and the material that they've played so join us on Facebook on the FAQ message board or wherever you listen to this show and do give us your thoughts what do you think of Double Platinum what could have made it better what do you think of what Sean Delaney did do with the material that he was given to put on the album what are the glaring omissions? You know, we did come up with a couple that we thought should have been on there. Also, what if you've gone to any Gene shows, we'd love to have your reviews of those shows. So do chime in. And for everything else in my opening monologue, um, let's do something for Peter. So we thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. The Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.